This is a message for those that work in manufacturing across the UK and Ireland. Do your engineering maintenance stores keep you awake at night? Are your engineers spending excessive time sourcing and finding the spare parts they need? Eric's on-site teams take responsibility for your indirect supply chain, including both your MRO procurement and inventory control. And, as the name suggests, we do this while being based on your site. For more information, visit www.erics.co.uk forward slash em. How can the oil and gas industry cut carbon dioxide emissions, easing the transition to net zero? Gas flaring is a major and frankly under-recognized global problem. Globally today, the oil and gas industry flares, by, by which I mean burns deliberately, mostly in oil and gas facilities, around 150 billion cubic meters of gas per year. That's a big number, but you know, put it in other terms, it's 4% of global gas consumption. And why it's a big deal is because 4% is a lot of gas. It's a lot of lost revenue of the order of $40 billion of lost revenue to host governments. And it's also a very large CO2 or greenhouse gas uh, load possibly up to a billion CO2 equivalent tonnes, which is 2% of emissions. How can a community of enthusiasts develop a model that can be used to collectively monitor wildlife around the world and find ways to protect it? Groups will use iNaturalist to say, hmm, let's look where the all the roadkill are happening when these newts are crossing the roads. So they'll actually doing a science project on our platform and studying and saying, hey, they're, all, they're, they're, all of the crossings are happening here. Let's put the underpass in here, the little culvert, to make sure that they can cross safely across the road. And hey, lo and behold, we can see that we've reduced the amount of um, salamander mortality on the road. And how can satellites be used to grow food more efficiently while reducing climate change and cancer-causing pollution? We realize that farmers lose half of the nitrogen they apply to their fields to grow food. And that may just sound, you know, kind of unfortunate or wasteful economically, which it is, but it's also a disaster environmentally because the nitrogen that leaves the field goes into the air as a greenhouse gas and goes into the water as a carcinogen, something that causes cancer. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Johnny Dowling. And I'm Rian Owen. This is one of 12 episodes originally aired between the 5th and 17th of February 2024, presenting the shortlisted entries for the Engineering Matters Awards. In this episode, we are looking at the shortlisted entries in the Environment Champion category. This category aims to celebrate the work of engineers as they develop ways to cut pollution or to monitor the health of the planet. Let's look at this year's shortlisted entries. Capteria were nominated for Flare Intel. iNaturalist were nominated for helping create a community-developed geomodel. And Agreed Earth were nominated for their work on reducing wasted nitrogen. 
Opteria works to monetize wasted gas and decarbonize the value chain. They do this by bringing together flexible financing, new technology solutions, and deep expertise. We spoke to their CEO, Mark Davis. Developed by Capterio, Flare Intel tracks every gas flare globally via satellite. We track every gas flare from space, and there are over 10,000 of these gas flares around the world in over 80 countries. We are mission driven to reduce gas flaring and in the process by eliminating this source of emissions from the oil and gas supply chain we can clean up the oil and gas industry, we can bring additional gas to market, improving energy security and we can therefore accelerate the energy transition. Gas flaring is the process of burning off excess natural gas released during oil extraction. Gas flaring is used for safety reasons and to reduce pressure during the extraction process. However, it's environmentally harmful as it releases greenhouse gases, primarily carbon dioxide, into the atmosphere, contributing to climate change. Natural gas is seen by many as a key stepping stone to net zero. Reducing flaring will help producer countries reach their net zero goals. Gas flaring is a major and frankly underrecognized global problem. Globally today, the oil and gas industry flares, by, by which I mean burns deliberately, mostly in oil and gas facilities, around 150 billion cubic meters of gas per year. That's a big number, but you know, put it in other terms, it's 4% of global gas consumption. And why it's a big deal is because 4% is a lot of gas, it's a lot of lost revenue of the order of $40 billion of lost revenue to host governments. Um, and it's also a very large CO2 or greenhouse gas uh, load, possibly up to a billion CO2 equivalent tonnes, which is 2% of emissions. So it's a big deal. And why we're so passionate about it at Capteria is that it's a real opportunity to reduce emissions, to decarbonize improve energy security and make a material difference acceleration to the um, net zero plans of companies and countries around the world. Using satellite technology originally developed by NASA and NOAA, Flare Intel maps and tracks every flare from space. The annualised flaring volume data within Flare Intel comes in part from the World Bank. It also integrates data on field locations, field operators and owners, license boundaries, pipelines and power stations. These are presented in an intuitive user interface. We provide our data to our clients and our clients are a range of clients actually. Probably the biggest group of clients that we have are oil and gas companies who themselves, many of them are very committed to reduce their emissions and gas flaring is a significant source. So we help them to get better visibility of their flaring, to help them to track operational improvements and to find investment opportunities. We also work with service companies and consulting companies to help these oil and gas companies to deliver their plans. But increasingly, we're getting increasing focus from governments and regulators who rightly are wanting to minimize the waste, maximize the resource and where penalties are due to uh, make sure the penalties are properly assessed and captured. 
But the data is useful beyond the industry. The investors financing gas production can use this to track the performance of different producers, and this will help steer investment towards the least harmful producers. But equally, what's really interesting is that financing bodies and NGOs are getting particularly interested. The financing bodies is interesting because many banks, asset managers, insurance companies, they all have their net zero plans and they need to have third party assurance that their investments are heading in the right direction. And that's why we work with them to help them to understand the emissions embedded within their portfolios. Social networks have come to dominate our world. Some are harmless fun, some are neither harmless or fun, but others can be used to help make the world a better place. A naturalist is a social network where people go outside, explore their backyard, take pictures of plants and animals, and share those uh, with a big community of naturalists around the world, but importantly, create data for science and conservation. And currently, um, most of the data for most species in the world is generated by naturalist data, just from normal people like me and you going outside and seeing a butterfly, piquing their interest, taking a picture. So our mission is really twofold. On one half, it's about connecting people to nature, getting people re-engaged with the natural world, trying to care about the natural world. But another very important part of our mission, and in a very real way, iNaturalist is the source of information on the natural world that's critical for conservation and land managers and scientists around the world. That was Scott Laurie, co-director of iNaturalist. And I think our conservation impact comes through three ways. One is this changing hearts and minds, just like you're saying, getting a constituency of people in the UK who have local biodiversity on their radar and, and care and stand up at the local meetings and say, you know, this is, we, we value, we, we want a, a, a larger park here, a quarter here, we want some sort of policy to, to manage these species. Also just the points on a map. So that used to come mostly from museums, you know, like a museum would have an insect collection or a mammal collection and they would say, okay, we knew this butterfly was collected here at this time in this location. So that gives us some understanding of where, where the species is. And now most of the data on living things comes from citizen science sites. Like um, there's one called eBird, which is really popular for birds, but for pretty much everything else, it's iNaturalist. And um, birds are 0.05% of all the species in the world, but get about 99.999% of the attention. So that's an important part of our mission too, is to balance out our view of the natural world with species that aren't just birds. And then lastly, um, the there's a ton of work that the community does, um, not just generating this data and getting out there for scientists to use, but actually using the community and the data to not just study places and monitor them, but actually improve them and really do on the on the ground conservation. A tool like iNaturalist lets citizen scientists develop their own research. They can then take their findings and lobby for practical changes that will help protect nature. So like one example I love is um, uh, these salamanders that live underground and they cross the road and every time they cross the road they get hit by cars. So groups will use iNaturalist to say, hmm, let's look where the all the roadkill are happening when these newts are crossing the roads. So they'll actually doing a science project on our platform and studying and saying, hey, they're, all, they're, they're, all of the crossings are happening here. Let's put the underpass in here, the little culvert to make sure that they can cross safely across the road. And hey, lo and behold, we can see that we've reduced the amount of um, 
salamander mortality on the road. So that's not just us generating data. That's actually the community using our platform to um, to improve the landscape for, for plants and animals. And I think that's something that we can do even more. But largely, as you're saying, people just think of iNaturalist as the source of biodiversity data that governments and um, land managers and park managers around the world use to make whatever decisions about um, managing the natural world for endangered species. The developers at iNaturalist have used cutting-edge technology to support their citizen scientists. An enthusiast might spot a creature and know that it's out of place. Once, they would have had to share photos online and hope an expert could identify it. But now, AI can identify many plants, animals and insects automatically. Yeah, so, so at its core, you know, iNaturalist is this community working together. And, and when we launched the site, it was before this whole AI revolution. So it was mostly, you know, you, the person exploring your backyard, talking to this other person who knows about butterflies and together you working together and saying, hey, this is a swallowtail butterfly and it's actually really rare to see at this time of year or it's, you know, it's thought to be extinct. All those discoveries are very, very manual, human to human working together. And then in 2017, we were the first group to train a computer vision model. So that's a model that takes an image and predicts a species. So the exact same technology used for facial recognition for more than, let's say, a thousand species. So we currently on Naturalist increasingly people will take a picture of a butterfly and even before anyone sees it the machine itself will say hey that's a swallowtail butterfly and it's using that with this ai computer vision model that's trained off of our own data but the model you know takes an image and tells you what the species is and we're retraining that model every month and now it has 80,000 species in it so that's a significant portion of the number of species about a million species two million species with names in the world just for context, there's only 10,000 species of birds. So we have eight times as many of all the species of birds in the world in this model. And um, that really helped us get into this deep learning AI world. And we were one of the first groups to really do that with the computer vision. The most recent development of iNaturalist goes beyond spotting species to modeling the world itself. But what we said this last year is, hey, let's train a similar AI deep learning model so the geo model is very similar to the computer vision model in that it's an artificial intelligence deep learning model. But what it does is it takes a location and tells you probabilistically the species that are supposed to occur there. So we built and launched that model this year. And that's what we were excited about when we said the iNaturalist geo model. And what that's allowing us to do is, first of all, it's allowing us to make much better predictions about what a species is. So when someone, someone takes a picture of us of a butterfly, now we can say, hey, even though it looks like this species, it's probably this species because this is the most likely species to occur in this space and time. But it also really helps us do two other things that we're really excited about. One is it helps us detect these strange anomalous things that are happening. So I was saying what that process was very manual before where someone says, hey, this butterfly isn't supposed to occur at this time of year or isn't supposed to occur this far north or isn't supposed to occur on this continent. Now the geo model can automatically detect those anomalies and say, hey, this is something very unusual. The species is supposed to be in Southeast Asia. What's it's doing in, in the UK? And so we can use that to ping and notify the community to, to sort of highlight it and, and bring the eyeballs that we need in order for, if it is, for example, an invasive species that needs to be detected quickly to get the eyeballs on it. Hey, this is something unusual. And I think that's something that iNaturalist is really neat at with this, we call the human in the loop AI. So it's an AI, but it's also this huge community. And how do you build tools where the community can work well with the AI to solve problems. 
But then the last thing that um, the geo model is allowing us to do too is, you know, for species like birds, we know a lot about the species that are endangered and everything from the pet trade is a species, a bird that in Indonesia that's caught a lot or hunted or has some particular disease. A lot of that stuff goes into the calculation about is a species endangered. But for most plants and insects in the world, I mean, a lot of people don't realize this, but we very, we know very, very little about these species. In many cases, the only thing we know about these species is how big is their distribution. And if a species has a huge distribution, meaning like, let's say it not only occurs in the UK, but occurs all across Europe and even down into India, that species is more likely to be uh, secure, like not endangered because it has such a huge range that it's protected in a lot of different places. But the species, we call them endemic species that let's say only occur in the UK or only occur in some mountain in India or only occur, you know, in, in a small part of the world. It's kind of like having all your eggs in that in one basket. Those are the species that are often endangered. And like I said, there's other things that go into whether a species is endangered, but for most species in the world, since we know so little about them, the size of the distribution is one of the only things that we know. And with the geo model, we can make predictions about species range. As the 19th century ended, scientists had identified a looming crisis. There quite simply wasn't enough land available to grow the food that would be required by a booming human population. In the early years of the 20th century, Fritz Haber and Karl Bosch developed a process to produce ammonia from nitrogen and hydrogen. This could be used to fertilize fields, boosting productivity. The discovery won each scientist a Nobel Prize, and it saved our species from starvation. But today, we recognize that nitrogen has its own harms. Its production can contribute to climate change, and if it's released into our waterways, it can cause cancer. It's essential that farmers only use the nitrogen their fields need, and no more. Kelly Price, Sarah Power, and Reed Walker were looking for a way to use their skills to support the planet. And they realized that together, they might be able to make a real difference on the overuse of nitrogen fertilizers. Kelly explains. So I set out to, with two co-founders, found a climate startup, and we combined our backgrounds. So my background is biology, my co-founder Sarah's background is farming, and then my co-founder Reed's background is satellite data. They realized they could use these skills to identify wasteful use of nitrogen, and this is a vital task. We realized that farmers lose half of the nitrogen they apply to their fields to grow food. And that may just sound, you know, kind of unfortunate or wasteful economically, which it is, but it's also a disaster environmentally because the nitrogen that leaves the field goes into the air as a greenhouse gas and goes into the water as a carcinogen, um, something that causes cancer. Farmers don't want to waste nitrogen. They work on tight margins, squeezed by input costs and low food prices. Overuse of nitrogen leads to other harms. Weeds and pests flourish, leading to more chemical use. Nitrogen that enters the atmosphere adds to the greenhouse gas effect, and when it enters water, it can cause cancer. But how could they access the information they needed to make better decisions? How could they cut their own costs while saving the environment? So what we decided to do was help farmers staunch the bleed by using a combination of satellite data and modeling to 
find the places that they're losing the nitrogen and kind of figure out how much they would be losing and um, you know, then help them have that information so that they could take different decisions to lose this, which means that they could use less nitrogen. Agreed Earth's data can help individual farmers. It can show them where nitrogen is being wasted. But it can also be used by water companies. These big utilities have to remove nitrates from water. If they can spot wasted nitrogen, they can direct their finances to helping farmers. And that can then cut the cost of water treatment. Well, we're already helping water companies help the farmers in their catchment areas reduce the pollution from nitrogen that goes into the water as nitrate. So already we're you know, kind of just getting started, but already starting to have that positive impact. The entrants we have looked at today are all playing an important role protecting our environment. Their work will be celebrated at the Engineering Matters Awards Ceremony in London at the end of March. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode is written and produced by Kerry Johannafin and hosted by me, Rian Owen, and by Johnny Dowling. Editing by Will North. Series supervision by John Young. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. And our own man who judges all we do is Rory Harris. And thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media and on LinkedIn.